Welcome to Skim This. Let's face it, if you're tuning into a news podcast two days before Christmas or on a day off from work or school, you're probably hardcore into the news like us. But it's still almost the end of a long, grueling year, so we're going to do something a little different this week and answer your questions, which a lot of you submitted to the Skim's Instagram feed or sent us via email. And in return, we're going to keep it brief as we recap Russia's big hack of the U.S. government, whether the new COVID relief bill means you're getting another check in the mail, and what we should know about aliens calling themselves the Galactic Federation. On a serious note, some of you also wrote in to point out that 2020 has led to increased alcohol use. So we asked an expert how to have a tough conversation if what looks like letting loose over the holidays is actually something more serious. But first, you asked and we're here to skim, uh, what's going on with this new mutation of COVID? All right, let's do it. Apparently, even COVID wants a fresh start in 2021. In a sudden turn today, the British government warned that a new strain of the virus is, quote, out of control. There are so many concerns this morning about this new strain that seems to be more contagious. That could be devastating. It turns out there's a new strain of COVID-19 that's circulating in the UK. Cue the rest of the world going on high alert. New strain? Mutation? More lockdowns? But before we get ahead of ourselves, let's back up. We called an expert to explain what is actually going on. Meet Dr. Amber D'Souza. I'm an infectious disease epidemiologist at Johns Hopkins. Let's start with the basics. What does it mean when a virus mutates? It means that their genetic sequence changes, and that's part of their normal evolution. And usually those changes are very small. Once in a while, the changes can be a little bigger or a little more different. It turns out it's pretty common for a virus, from the flu to a coronavirus, to mutate. And by the way, this isn't even the first time the genetic sequence of COVID has changed. Has it mutated? Yes. Viruses mutate all the time. And I know that there has been research studying those mutations. And that's how we were able to say, oh, there was a strain that came from Italy, or there was a strain that came from Spain or from Wuhan. And, and that's how we know it came from one place or another, because there are these subtle, small changes. If this is considered normal in the lifespan of a virus, why is this mutation getting a lot of attention? That's because scientists think this strain is more infectious than others. But Dr. D'Souza told us the evidence is still coming in. And so far... The differences in r not that I've seen, they're not that profound. On average, you know, each infected person was infecting around one more person. And with this strain, it's around 1.3. So we're not talking about this being five times more transmissible. You know, any increase in infectiousness is a bummer. We're trying to control this infection, and this strain may be slightly more infectious, but I don't want people to think that it is a qualitative change, that it's a whole different paradigm-shifting change to this virus. It's not. And by the way, it may be hard for scientists to even understand how much more contagious this strain is, because people haven't been following the recommended protocols to keep themselves safe. Remember that this infection is spread by behavior and being near people, not physically distancing, not having proper masks and PPE. So there's also a behavioral element that it's possible that people who have this infection, maybe you know, in certain neighborhoods or areas, also were not being as physically distant. And that's why separating out exactly how, 
how much more infectious it might be is a little challenging. Got it. So this new COVID mutation is considered to be slightly more infectious than the version of COVID we've been getting used to this year. But is this strain of the virus more deadly? So far, the answer is no. There's no difference in um, mortality that I've seen, so we don't think it's any more harmful. Still, this is something scientists have a lot to learn about and are hoping stays contained. Currently, the UK is on its strictest lockdown since March. As for the rest of the world, a number of countries have imposed a travel ban on the UK. The US hasn't done that so far. But New York's governor, Andrew Cuomo, has asked that airline passengers coming from the UK get tested before landing. If you live in the US, you might be wondering, if things are getting locked down over there, did this new strain already make it here? We don't know, but you know, COVID is very infectious. We, we know that. And um, what we've learned over these many months of the pandemic is that it has spread from country to country somewhat quickly. Meaning? it's very likely that it has spread. So if there was ever a time to keep wearing your mask and washing your hands, this is it. Before we go, let's answer the last big question on everyone's mind. Will the COVID vaccine still work in stopping a mutated virus? There's some good news. So these new changes in the strain of COVID that we're seeing in England appears to have mutated, which again is normal in viruses. And the changes are not so dramatic that the vaccine will not recognize them. Everything we know about this new variant suggests the vaccine will work fine, which is the most important thing. Basically, the parts of COVID-19 that the vaccines target aren't the parts that are mutating. The parts targeted are conserved enough that the types of mutations that we expect to see in a few year period should be protected from the vaccine. So there, you know, there are unknowns, but for this variation that we've observed so far, people who know the vaccine say that it is within the expected range of variation. While at some point, it may be possible that a mutation could make the vaccines less effective. Thankfully, that's not the case so far. And as long as the elements of COVID-19's genetic code that the vaccine targets are still intact, these vaccines should work just fine. See? We told you. Some good news. The next story is actually the one that the most listeners wrote in asking us to skim. What's the deal with that Russian cyber attack on the U.S. government? Good question, since the little we know is kind of fascinating. Think of hacking in a couple of ways. One form involves directly breaking into a system, kind of like stealing someone's password so you can snoop around their account. The name for another type of hacking is inspired by history. What is this? An offering to Poseidon? This is a gift. We should take it to the temple of Poseidon. I think we should burn it. Oh, hey, Orlando Bloom in the movie Troy. Wink. A digital Trojan horse hack is when someone hacks a piece of software that already has access to a system. People download that software without realizing they've allowed hackers to walk right in through the door. That's the technique Russia chose here. Reportedly, one of Russia's cyber intelligence agencies hacked the software company SolarWinds, which makes programs used by a lot of big companies and government agencies. And when SolarWinds released a software update in March, its clients assumed, better download that. 
thing is, Russia had inserted code into that software update, and now Russia's hackers are inside the Temple of Poseidon, if you will. So what did the hackers get access to? The US government is reportedly still trying to figure that out. Government agencies are pretty good at detecting the first type of hacking, the direct attack, but less good at figuring out if their system has been hacked from the inside. So far, the US Treasury, Commerce, and Energy Departments admit they were hit. And that last one is pretty concerning, since the Department of Energy runs America's stockpile of nuclear weapons. Thankfully, according to an Energy Department spokeswoman, at this point in their investigation, that hasn't been impacted. But the damage definitely goes beyond those three agencies. So we're likely nowhere close to knowing the true damage here. Why did Russia do this? Governments normally don't talk about their motives for things like this. But generally speaking, Russia and the US are rivals. And since the US has a big advantage in terms of population and wealth, Russia doesn't try to compete with the US on things like military spending. Instead, experts say Russia tries to do a lot with a little. For instance, by investing millions of dollars into hacking, Russia might be able to get billions of dollars in rewards. In this case, either in information to use against the US or by forcing the US to spend precious time and money on cleaning up after the hack. That part we're already seeing. Every federal civilian agency has been given emergency orders to figure out if they were hacked. So if causing a huge logistical nightmare inside the US government was Russia's goal, it seems this hack was a success. And as for the info Russia may have gained, that's TBD. But the little we do know suggests they could have gained inside info about America's nuclear weapons program. Info that reportedly could help Russian companies avoid US sanctions and valuable intellectual property from American corporations. And experts warn, this hack isn't over just because someone noticed it. Once a Trojan horse hack is successful and hackers spend time behind enemy lines, they can create new access points for themselves even if the door they came in through is blocked. And these hackers have definitely had time to get comfortable in their new US government digs. This hack reportedly started as early as March and was only brought to our attention this month. So this story is definitely gonna play out well into 2021 and beyond. Got a minute? After months of Congress trying and failing to reach a compromise on another stimulus bill, they finally said, let's make a deal. On Monday, the House and Senate approved the second largest federal stimulus package ever. And all that's needed now is President Trump's signature. That was expected by the end of the week, until Trump made a surprise announcement calling for major changes to the deal. We don't know yet whether Congress will go back to the drawing board or try and get Trump to back down. But until then, let's talk about what's in the bill as it currently stands in 60 seconds. The first thing that's in the bill, cash. If you make less than $75,000 annually, you could get $600 from the government. Make more than that and you'll get less, if anything at all. The good news, if you're eligible, you might receive that check as early as next week. Also in the bill, extended unemployment benefits, including a $300 a week boost in federal unemployment insurance, lasting until mid-March. And this will also apply to contractors and freelancers, who normally don't receive these benefits. The new bill could also give some relief to your favorite local restaurant or store by allocating money for the Paycheck Protection Program. 
So businesses who didn't slash couldn't apply for those loans in the spring or that need a second boost of support now can get some of the cash they need. Finally, the bill includes funding for schools and for the COVID-19 vaccine distribution, though notably doesn't set aside anything for state and local governments, which is leading economists to warn these relief measures are only a temporary lifeline and more help could be needed before long. How'd we do? Want us to skim a burning question from the news on an upcoming episode? Send us an idea to audio at theskim.com. This podcast is free, and we intend to keep it that way. But to make sure we keep the lights and the mic on, we want to make sure we're producing the best possible content for you. And no, this isn't an ad. Instead, to help us keep providing you with the best and most relevant content, we'd love if you gave us some feedback about the show and told us a little bit about yourself. If you can spare five minutes to answer a few multiple choice questions, we'd really appreciate it. To do that, head to theskim.com slash pod survey. That's the skim with two M's dot com forward slash pod survey. A few minutes of your time will help us give you hours and hours of the content you want in 2021 and beyond. Thanks. Normally at this time of year, we'd be drinking mold cider at a Christmas party or toasting at a bar with friends. And while that's not happening, a lot of us were already drinking more in quarantine than we might have been normally. That brings us to something serious that you asked us to talk about this week. What's happening to our alcohol consumption during COVID? And how do we know if it's a problem? One study says alcohol sales outside of bars and restaurants went up by roughly 24% during the pandemic. Another found that women in particular have been drinking more during the pandemic. About 41% of us have been drinking more heavily, more often. You know, alcohol is the addiction that everybody knows about, but nobody wants to talk about. And so, you know, we have in the U.S. society, 14 million individuals with an alcohol use disorder. That's Dr. George Koob. I'm the director of the National Institute on Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism at the National Institutes of Health. While alcohol is used by 60% of Americans, and, and most of them don't have any problem, for the individuals that do have a problem, you know, it, it can be pretty devastating. But, he says, the recent rise in alcohol consumption could be a sign of bigger problems, the kind that a lot of us have been dealing with over the last 10 months. In many cases, those individuals are drinking to cope with the stress and social isolation. We're quite concerned about, well, three groups of people. Those individuals who are drinking to cope with stress uh, because uh, when the alcohol wears off, the stress comes back with a vengeance. The second group are those who are already teetering on the edge of perhaps an alcohol use disorder. And then, of course, there are the individuals who already have an alcohol use disorder and we're in treatment and we worry about whether you know they are getting adequate treatment. So how much drinking is too much? Coop says the first step in figuring that out is observation monitor how much you are drinking and whether you feel better when you're not drinking. In other words, is our mood more stable if we're abstaining from booze? Another warning sign is whether or not we just have less tolerance for the people around us. But one of the earliest signs of problems with alcohol is, in fact, um, a deterioration in interactions with family members and loved ones and significant others. Which, sure, could be hard to track in quarantine but we might notice if we actually do become more irritable around our loved ones when we're drinking. And if you're hearing this and thinking, that sounds kind of hard to monitor anecdotally. 
the National Institute on Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism has a website that people can go to called Rethinking Drinking. That website has a lot of info on how to calculate how much you or a loved one is drinking, what patterns of behavior are at play, and resources to turn to for cutting down or quitting altogether. And if you think you might have spotted a serious problem, there's the NIAAA Treatment Navigator. In the Navigator, you can find out what is an alcohol use disorder and, and what are the treatments that are appropriate for what stage of an alcohol use disorder you or your loved ones or, or friends or family members are uh, experiencing. The NIAAA's Treatment Navigator has a bunch of resources, from help finding local Alcoholics Anonymous groups to access to therapy treatments that can help with alcoholism. We'll leave links to both of those websites in our show notes. Plus, Coop says there's some good news. When the pandemic started, health professionals were worried that people wouldn't show up to AA meetings after they went virtual in the spring. But this is anecdotal, but everyone tells me that uh, people are uh, keeping their appointments more uh, readily and more efficiently during the pandemic. Again, another silver lining might be that we in the future utilize some of these techniques when uh, people can't uh, get to a particular meeting. This is the story of the very first alien Christmas. Well, sort of. A number of listeners wrote in asking, what can you tell us about the Galactic Federation? And after a few of these messages, we realized we weren't being spammed by Star Wars fans. R2-D2, a pleasure to meet you. I am C-3PO human cyborg relations. Turns out there is something called the Galactic Federation in the news. Let us explain. This year, a former Israeli space security chief, Hayim Ished, said extraterrestrials do exist and that humans have been in contact with them. A stranger from the outside. That group of extraterrestrials allegedly in question, a quote, galactic federation far, far away. You sit on a throne of lies. Now, just hang on a second. Speaking to an Israeli newspaper, Ished alleges that the aliens have tried to stay pretty undercover because they don't think humans are ready to know that they're out there. And you know what? They might be right. All right, Beatrice, there was no alien. Flash of light you saw in the sky was not a UFO. Swamp gas from the weather balloon was trapped in a thermal pocket and refracted the light from Venus. Ished reportedly said, the Israelis aren't the only ones who allegedly had these convos. He claims the United States has also made contact. Mankind, that word should have new meaning for all of us today. But so far, the White House and the Pentagon have said no comment. Those who speak don't know, and those who know don't speak. As for NASA, they said in a statement, trust us, we're looking for extraterrestrial life, but so far we haven't found it. If this all sounds a little out of this world, you're right. Fact-checking this was kinda difficult. But Ashed's comments have led to some pretty good parody accounts already on Twitter. So whether or not this is all a publicity stunt, in the hopes he can maybe sell his very recently published book, is still TBD. As far as we're concerned... Seeing is believing. And sometimes, the most real things in the world are the things we can't see. 
2020 has been a year where tech solutions have collided with burnout as we max out our screen time figuring out how to do everything from our bedrooms. We've had Zoom, Slack, contactless payments, and telehealth, but it turns out even tech has its limitations. We've literally been hearing for years that AI is coming for our jobs. But at Los Alamos National Laboratory, researchers Garrett Kenyon and Yijing Watkins found out earlier this year, AI could be a long way from being able to function better than humans. That's because there are a couple of different types of AI. Kenyon says there's a simpler kind that's more like a computer and learns with labels. You know, this image is a cat, this image is a dog. When the model gets it right, you reward it. When it gets it wrong, you punish it, try to fix it. He told us if we stick with this label-based training, the machine will try to make whatever it sees fit into the categories it already knows, rather than recognizing something new or different like human brains do, which can lead to some pretty big mistakes, like misidentifying people of color. So Kenyon and Watkins have been working with another type of AI, one that's able to create new labels by itself if it's presented with something it hasn't seen before. To do that, their AI basically has to learn to see in the same way that humans do. But they kept running into a pretty major obstacle. At some point, the neurons invariably would start to hallucinate. That's right. Their AI started literally seeing things that weren't there, based on images it had seen when it was functioning fully. Watkins says if this was a human, we'd definitely be saying, go home and get some rest. So somehow the machine to see is able to see faces and the neurons start turning on, think there's a face there, but there's nothing. So I was like, that is hallucination in my understanding. We all need sleep after a long day. It helps us process things we've learned along with getting rid of information that's not useful. When you're working for too long, you want your brain to unlearn the stuff is unnecessary so you could learn something is more important the next day. Watkins and Kenyon realized their AI wasn't going to learn if it couldn't rest and process the things it's seeing. So they tried putting their AI to sleep. FYI, this AI's equivalent of sleep is basically white noise. And after a long, peaceful stretch of white noise, Watkins and Kenyon's AI woke up ready to go. And it was kind of an astonishing discovery for us because it turned out to work kind of magically. Not that we needed any excuses after 2020, but if even robots need some R&R, we'll be taking our cues from them this holiday season. Thanks for listening to Skim This. This podcast was skimmed by Alex Carr and Luke Vargas, with additional help from Peter Bonaventure and Kira Long. And I'm your host, Justine Davey. We'll be back in your feed again next week. For more Skim and to sign up for our daily newsletter, head on over to theskim.com. 